Um, We're turning now uh, to God's Word and we're reading from Hebrews uh, chapter 4. It's from Hebrews chapter 4, 14 through to chapter 5 and 10. And the words will be on the screen. They're in the the church Bibles on page 1203 if you would like to pop a Bible out and follow along and we'll just be working our way through some of these verses. Reading from Hebrews 4, 14. And it's a, little, uh, it's a passage entitled, Jesus, the Great High Priest. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our own weakness. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are. Yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among the people and is appointed to represent the people in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. And no one takes this honor on himself, but he receives it when he is called by God, just as Aaron was. In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest, but God said to him, You are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, You are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Son though he was, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. We continue this morning in our series on the, the glory of Christ. And uh, we've looked at the glory of Christ in, in his, in his uh, cross and in his resurrection and in his ascension. And today we look at the, the glory of Christ now in his great high priestly rule. I guess in our Western contemporary culture, maybe we're, we're not all that terribly familiar of what a priest is or does. So we might ask, well, what exactly is a priest? Well, a, a priest is a mediator. A priest is a go-between. A priest is someone who acts as a go-between between God and people. Someone who represents the people before God. In our society, we're perhaps not that familiar with the work of a priest, but instead, if we're looking for an example of a go-between, we might look instead at a lawyer. A lawyer who would represent us in a court of law. Or if we're in business, we might think of an accountant representing us before the taxman. A lawyer represents people before the judge or an accountant represents people before the taxman. So a priest represents people before God. And when we're dealing with a judge, we need a lawyer. When we're dealing with a taxman, we need an accountant. And yes, when we're dealing with God, we need a priest. And perhaps if we're unfamiliar with the work of a priest or we think we don't need one, maybe that's partly because we've forgotten who God is. And we've forgotten who we are in our own natural state. 
You see, Isaiah, for instance, says, uh, tells us in chapter 6 that holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. On the other hand, we definitely are not, for God tells us your sins are like scarlet. God is pure. Habakkuk says, your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrong. And yet we are not pure. We are corrupt. Jeremiah tells us that the heart is deceitful above all things. You see, the Lord is so awesome, so awesome in His holiness and His purity. He's like a consuming fire. In Exodus 19, when God spoke to Moses at Mount Sinai, He set a limit around the mountain and He told Moses, go down and warn the people. Warn the people that they are not to force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. God is holy and we are not. God is pure and we are not. God is there and we are here. And yet apart from God, there is no life, only death. That's what happened in the Garden of Eden. God and man walked together in perfect harmony. But man rebelled and put this distance between us and God. And sin and death entered the world. But God wants us back. God wants us back and we need to go back because apart from him, there is no life. But you see, we cannot approach God directly as we are. We need a go-between. We need a mediator. We need someone who will represent us before him. We need someone who will bring us back to him. In short, we need a priest. We need a priest. And you see, from the very first book of, of the Bible in Genesis in 14, it says that the first mention of a priest there. And then from Exodus 28, God provides a priesthood for his people. He says to Moses, he says, Have Aaron, your brother, brought, brought to you from among the Israelites with his sons Nadab and Abihu, Eliezer and Ithamar, so that they may serve me as priests. You see, in his love and in his grace, God takes the initiative in providing humanity with priests so that we might again be connected with him. And from this time on, priests are to be chosen from Aaron's family, from the Levites. And they're to make sacrifices to God on the behalf of the people. And they're to bring the prayers of the people to God. You see, the priests mediated between God and man in the tabernacle, in the wilderness, and then in the temple in Jerusalem. And because we are so, because God is so holy and we are not, and because God is so pure and we are not, a priest will always be necessary in order for God and us to meet. Enter the Lord Jesus. Because this is one of Jesus' reasons, to be a priest for us. And Jesus clearly understood this to be his role. In Matthew 21, we read that Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were, cha- who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it into a den of robbers. You see, Jesus in the temple, able to call it my house, because Jesus is on his home ground, the priest in his temple. We see Jesus too in the, in the great high priestly prayer in John 17. We see Jesus praying, where he prays for his disciples, and he prays for all believers. It tells us that Jesus looked towards heaven, and he prayed 
and he prayed. He says, Father, I pray for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me, for they are yours. Jesus says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So Jesus clearly saw himself to be a priest, to have this mediatorial role going between us and the Father, representing us before him, offering a sacrifice to him, presenting our prayers to him, and praying for us, prayers of intercession himself. And you see, amongst the priesthood, there was this hierarchy, if you like. There were the the everyday, regular priests. And then at any one time, there there was a high priest. And now there is Jesus, the great high priest. And this great high priest is our great high priest. For this is what Hebrews tells us. The writer of Hebrews picks up this great high priestly theme of Jesus for us. And it's the central theme of his letter. You see, the writer explains how Jesus is our great high priest because Jesus is a unique high priest. Jesus is a unique high priest because he is far superior to any of the earthly predecessors. He far surpasses them in his character and he far surpasses them in his work. Firstly, he surpasses them because that he is ascended into heaven. Therefore, verse 14, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God. You see, in the Old Testament, the high priest would go through the curtain that, let, that, that kept the people and God apart, and he would go through the curtain. But in, in, with Jesus, we have one who has gone through the heavens and who now stands before the living God himself. You see, the ascension of Jesus Christ was the completion of his work on earth for us and the start of his work in heaven for us. Jesus is unique too in that he is the only high priest who is both fully human and fully divine. Notice in verse 14 how the writer uses his human name, Jesus. There's humanity. And then he goes on to call him the Son of God. There's divinity. Only Jesus is fully man and fully God. Only Jesus is fully able to represent us before God. Fully able to unite man and God. For only he is both. Secondly, we see that we have an empathetic high priest. Verse 15. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. We have one who, because he is fully human, is able to fully understand all our human frailties, our temptations, our trials. That's true in life, isn't it? Those people who are best able to understand us, who are best able to to help us, they're people who have gone through a similar experience to ourselves. You see, Jesus walked the streets of planet Earth. He's familiar with physical and emotional and spiritual pain and suffering. He has been here. And so he is able to empathize with us. God is able to empathize with us because the second person in the Godhead is one of us. And Jesus is a compassionate high priest. Verse 16, then let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help, to help us in our hour of need. This is a great encouragement for us, isn't it? A great assurance of God's love. For the office of high priest is an office of mercy and of grace. Mercy is forgiveness for our past sins. Grace is love for today and for tomorrow. 
And we can confidently approach the throne of mercy and grace, knowing that through Christ we will receive both. The writer goes on in 5, 1-3. He says, Every high priest is selected from among men and appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant or going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifice for his own sins as well as for the sins of the people. But Jesus is not only a compassionate priest who offers sacrifices for our sins. Jesus actually is the sacrifice for our sins. Just as the Old Testament priests had to daily offer sacrificial lambs for the people's sins, those sacrifices pointed forward to Jesus, the one who John the Baptist introduced as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And those Old Testament priests, they had to offer those sacrifices day after day after day. But Paul, writing in Romans, tells us that Christ at that cross offered a great atoning sacrifice once and for all. And those Old Testament priests, they would have to offer sacrifice for their own sins, but not Jesus. Not Jesus, for though he was tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he was without sin. Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices for himself, but he is the eternal sacrifice made for us. And as Christ presents our prayers to the Father, and as Christ prays to the Father for us, he doesn't need to make a sacrifice as other priests did. No, he simply holds out his hands. He, he, the son holds out his hands and the father sees the scars. The father sees the scars that speak of the once for all sacrifice of the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. The father sees the scars that satisfy his wrath. He sees the scars that guarantee that he will accept us and that he will be merciful to us, that he will forgive us our sins, that he will hear our prayers and the prayers of his son for us. And and we know that God will be merciful to us because in his mercy he provided the sacrifice to show that that it is so. So it's not like Jesus says to the Father, Father, because of the sacrifice, be merciful. No, it's the other way around. God is merciful, so he makes the sacrifice for us to show us that he is a God of grace. To let us know what he's like. And to let us know what we can expect when we come humbly to him through Christ. And if you have not yet come to him, come, come, come today. Come to the Father through the Son and receive his mercy and his grace. His mercy and his grace for today and forever. Come. And Jesus fulfills complete this, the requirement that the high priest would be able to deal gently with those who are ignorant or going astray. Jesus is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant, that is, those who don't yet know him or know of his gospel. And Jesus is able to deal gently with those who are going astray, that is, those who are wandering from the straight and narrow. Jesus can bring us back again by his word and by his spirit as we come back to him, look at him again in faith. Jesus is able to deal with us gently because Jesus understands our temptations. Deal with us compassionately because he understands our trials. And so Jesus too is a chosen high priest. Four, uh, five, four to five. He's, the writer writes, no one takes this honor upon himself, but he receives it when he is called by God just as Aaron was in the same way. 
In the same way, Christ did not take on himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today, I have become your father. And later he says, designated by God to be a high priest. You see, the priesthood of the Israelites in the Old Testament, this was not a role that anyone could just wander into. It was restricted to the descendants of Aaron. Certain criteria God had put down, called from within Aaron's family. But Jesus, the most acceptable high priest, is so because he is not Aaron's son, but God's very own son. Called by God, designated by God, chosen by God. Jesus is too an eternal high priest. Verse 6, and it says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is a high priest forever. You see, every other high priest lived and died and had to be replaced. But Jesus is eternal, everlasting, God from God, no end and no beginning. He won't die and he won't need replacing. He is the be-all and the end-all of all priests, a priest forever. And so who exactly then was this guy Melchizedek anyway? Well, Melchizedek is the first priest mentioned in the Bible. We read in Genesis 14 of how Melchizedek met with Abraham and he blessed Abraham. And it tells us in Genesis 14 and also here in Hebrews 7 that Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God Most High. You see, Aaron's descendants were only ever priests, but Jesus is more than a priest in the order of Aaron because Jesus is a priest in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is the priest and the king. And Jesus is a saving high priest. Verse 9, once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation. What does it mean, made perfect? Does it mean that at some stage Jesus was anything less than fully perfect? No, it doesn't mean that at all. What it means is this. It means that once Christ, the second person in the Trinity, once he had taken on human form, once he had lived and died and risen again amongst us, once he had ascended into heaven, once he had done all that, he was the perfect one to be our mediator. He was made perfectly qualified to be our great high priest. And now perfectly qualified, he is the source of eternal salvation. In him, our great high priest, we have everything necessary for our salvation. For in him, we have one who, in his incarnation, sought us by his grace. In his death and resurrection, saved us by his grace. And now in his high priestly rule, keeps us by his grace. And finally for today, Jesus is a universal high priest. Verse 9, it says, Once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. He is the great high priest for all, for all kinds of people, men and women, boys and girls, people from every tribe and tongue and nation and language. He is the universal great high priest for all who will obey him. And you see, there is no one who is beyond his reach. There is no one who, by whom, by his spirit and by his word, he cannot draw into relationship with God the Father and into obedience to himself. No one, for he is the source of eternal salvation for all who will obey him. This passage of scripture that we've looked at together here today, It tells us that Jesus is our great high priest 
Because Jesus is a unique high priest. Jesus is an empathetic high priest, a compassionate high priest, a chosen high priest, an eternal high priest, a saving high priest, a universal high priest. What a wonderful, great high priest we have indeed before the throne of God above. So just as I finish, just as I finish, what does this all mean for us sitting here this morning in Orangefield? Well, today, folks, because Jesus is our great high priest, we can be sure that when we come in his name, God accepts us into his presence. We can be sure that when we confess our sins, he forgives us. We can be sure that when we say our prayers, he hears us. And we can be sure that when we finish our journey, he will welcome us home. Shall we pray together for a moment? Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you through Jesus, your Son, and our great high priest. We bless you that in Christ we have a great high priest who is unique, empathetic, compassionate, chosen, eternal, saving, and universal. We thank you that in your great love for us you have provided us with such a perfect, powerful, and effective mediator, the guarantee of your mercy and grace towards us. We thank you that as one who is both fully God and fully man, he is fully able to represent us before your throne. His perfect atoning sacrifice and intercessory prayers ever before you on our behalf. Father, we draw near. We worship you in the beauty of your holiness. And we offer to you now our prayers and our lives through Jesus Christ our Lord, in whose name we pray. Amen.